How many people weren't here last week? You didn't get to make it out. Anybody? Got a few? All right. Listen, we, so we've been in a sermon series on uh, um, little foxes. And there's a scripture in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, that talks about how we must catch the little foxes that seek to spoil the vine of our relationship. So we've had two sermons, and really we've discussed these little things that creep into our relationship with God. They creep into our relationship with others. And we've dealt with some of that. Last week, I actually preached a sermon on marriage. Uh, but if you haven't heard those two sermons, I'd recommend get on the podcast and, and listen to those. There was a lot of marriages that just were completely ruined last week because of the sermon. Uh, no, that was a joke. That was a joke. <clears throat> Everybody was blessed and marriages were strengthened and, and restored and all that, right? That's what, that's what I believe anyway. Amen. I believe the word of God works. Amen. So, but I want to talk to you this morning about a little fox that oftentimes is, it, it's, it's very prevalent. It happens a lot in our lives. And sometimes we pay attention to it. Sometimes we don't. I would say maybe this, is, if, if I'm talking about little foxes, little things that come in and actually spoil the relationship of, of the people in the church, maybe more than anything. And, it, and, it, and it, oftentimes it, it affects your relationship with God. It's, it's offense. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about removing offense. If, if there's one fox that we got to catch as the people of Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, we've got to deal, we got to learn how to deal with offense. Jesus talks about it a lot. It's in the New Testament a lot. And if we don't figure out how to process offense and work through it and deal with it, man, it is a, it, the, the Hebrews talks about it as being a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many. See, it, can, it has the ability once it gets in to spread. So it could be one seed that's planted in your garden, but it can take root and defile the other plants that are in your garden, so to speak. And in our garden, we got to make sure that if there is any root of bitterness, if there is anything in our lives that is in there taking root, that's just slowly beginning to infect our lives and maybe a lot of times infecting our relationships and ultimately it can infect an entire church. Amen. And we, so we got to make sure that we catch those little foxes before they get out of control. I think some of, the, some of the greatest breakthroughs I've even seen in ministry have been because once you start dealing with things and you start processing things with people and working through things, you start to find out that, that these people are dealing with wounds from their past. They're dealing with offenses that they've not quite let go. And even in the church world, man, you find out that people have, have ultimately moved from church to church because bad things have happened, man. People have been hurt. People have been wounded. But here's the thing. I'm not going to negate the fact that probably everybody in this place has been hurt, has been wounded, has been offended at some point. So that's not the issue. We're not talking about whether or not you have or have it or whether or not. No, you have probably. What the issue we've got to deal with is how do we process it? How do we deal with it? How do we heal? And how do we learn how to respond more appropriately? Amen. So let's look at scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10 through 13. And the disciples come to him. They said, Lord, you know, what are the signs of the last days going to be? Because Jesus is having this discussion with them about the last days. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? Well, a lot of you do, see? So, so we may, and according to Scripture, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. So we've been in them for quite a while, and we are looking forward to the return of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. But Jesus gave a lot of descriptions. He talked about the ones we're familiar with are famines and pestilences and sicknesses. And if you look on the news, we see both of those things throughout the world happening. He talks about earthquakes. Earthquakes have been increasing over the past 100 years exponentially. But I want to do some, I want to talk about something that he 
mentions that is relational in nature. And he says, this is what you're going to start to see in the church in the last days among the people of God. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 24. This is a sign of the last days. He says, verse 10, and then many will be offended. Notice that. In those days, many will be offended. They will betray one another and they will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now notice the word here, the notice uh, the word here many actually in the Greek language means majority. So what he's talking about is he's saying that pretty much when you start to look at the condition of not just the world but the church and I'll lay out why I think he's discussing the church and the people of God later. But 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 he's saying the majority of people will actually be operating relationally under offense. That means that their relationship with God and their relationship with people and their relationship with the body of Christ is not going to be really functioning on a level of love because at the end of the day they got these roots of offenses and bitterness that are in their hearts. He says the majority of people you're going to find that they're actually operating and living under offense and they've got walls up that are affecting their relationship with God and others. Proverbs 18 19. I love this proverb. It says a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Y'all ever offended somebody and tried to make it right with them? A lot of times you find people, and I found this, man, the smallest things in the world can get into a person's life. And I've done things to people even. And when you go and you try to talk to them, they might even say, yeah, I forgive you. It's no big deal. But at the end of the day, you have not won them back over to be in relation with you in a love relationship where you care for one another as a brother cares for a brother. It's a difficult thing because when a brother gets offended, what does he do? It says he's harder to be won than a strong city and his contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, a strong city in the Old Testament would have been a city that they had these walls built up. Son, it's like what Donald Trump doing down on the, don't get political clay let's keep it on on, on task here it, 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 it's when we build walls up to keep people out that's what he that's what he's saying it, you, you build walls up in your life and here's what happens when you get offended you start to not trust people as much you don't trust the people that have hurt you and so you say you know what that hurt a little bit it didn't feel that good and so I'm, I'm gonna build up this wall to keep certain people out of my life and I'm not gonna open up to these people because I'm afraid how they might handle what, who I am or what I say or if they find out stuff about me, I'm afraid of what they might handle. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build this wall to keep certain people out. I might let a few people in on occasion. But here's what you've got to understand is that God is love. Amen. God is love. And love, agape love, means it is self-sacrificial and it is the giving of oneself. So what Satan is trying to do when he brings offense into our life is he wants us to build walls and build bars of a castle that says you ain't getting into my life. I'm not letting you in. And not only that, I'm so focused on protecting myself that I will not give of myself to benefit you. And all of a sudden, love is canceled out in our lives because we've built walls where we said, I'm trying to protect, protect. I want to protect myself from getting hurt. I'm going to protect myself from people because people are crazy and I'm not going to let them into my life. And so all of a sudden, your love is beginning to shut down because love is that self-sacrificial giving of yourself. And, and, and those, those, these things that we build up now, they're, they're, these walls that we build, these walls are in our soul. 
These walls are in our minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, Paul says it like this. He says, listen, even though we walk in these bodies and in this flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he says this, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying in your soul, you have these arguments. Now there's a better word for it. And if you, if you translate it from the Greek, it's, it's this word that means reasonings or thought processes that ultimately get you to a personal opinion. In other words, y'all digest information and you start getting these arguments in your mind and you get these thought processes and you develop a personal opinion, but that personal opinion actually is exalting itself against the word of God in your life. We talked about this Wednesday that usually what people will do is they set their own standard rather than, than a standard that God would have according to his word. They say, well, you know what? For me, I can have a little bit of sex outside of marriage. For me, I can get drunk on occasion. You know, for, for me, it's okay for me to gossip because I'm justified in doing so because that person hurt me. I know the Bible says you shouldn't do any of these things, but for me, I've set my own set of standards, and God is saying, no, you can't set your own set of standards. The Word of God is your standard. The Word of God is your standard. And so if I'm falling below that, and that, that's the thing even about when we talk about marriage and stuff, sometimes when you preach, I talked to a couple of people, and even last week, a, you know, a couple of people were like, man, that message was just, it was good, but it was just so strong. And I said, I know, I know it's difficult because when you preach the word of God, here's what you got to understand. Every single one of us are most likely, I'd say pretty much close to 100%, living under the standard of God's word. Would you agree with that? Now, should I come in as a pastor and say, well, you know what, God, we're actually living under the standard. So let, let me just come in and lower the bar a little bit to try to meet our standard. No, God says, come in, Clay, and continue to preach the standard of my word, but do it with love and grace and let them know that if they will enter in relationship with me by the power of the spirit, I will empower them to raise up to the level of my standard. Amen. So that's what we're going after. We're going after God's standard even concerning these things. But we've got these reasonings in our mind that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we forget that God is love and he's always seeking us to be open to others and to love others. And we, put these, we get these strongholds built up in our mind. And no doubt in my mind right now in this house, there are people with strongholds that are relational strongholds. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. Somebody's offended you. They didn't meet up your, to your expectations. And maybe even in some ways you've said, well, I've let that go. I'm over that. That ain't no big deal. But I would say that there's still a mental stronghold in there that's affecting your relationship with God and others. Can we just be open to that? Say, you know what, Lord, this is, I'm going to be open to this this morning. I just want to be open to hear what the word of God says concerning these things so that maybe you can do something in my life. Now, here's what he says. He says, many will be offended. And notice there's a progression that's laid out. Let's go back to that first verse I put up there. He says, many will be offended in Matthew 24, 10. And it says, and then they will betray one another and they will hate one another. Right. And there's this progression that is unfolding. But betrayal is really me seeking my own benefit at the expense of my brother. So in other words, I've got a relationship with somebody and something happens. We don't know what it is, but something happens. And instead of looking out for my brother, I end up trading that relationship in for my own personal benefit and gain. And, and I hand them over to whatever the consequences is. 
It's what Judas did to Jesus, right? For his own personal gain, he took money and he handed his brother over, even though Jesus he, he betrayed him with a kiss when he comes in. So they betray one another, and then that leads to hatred. And a lot of people, we talked about this two weeks ago, but the word for hatred in the Greek language is not like you're snarling angry and you're screaming and you're, and you're all this because hatred is not tied into emotion. When we think about hatred, we think about just being so angry that you're foaming out of the mouth and you're ready to punch somebody in the face. But you know, the Bible says in 2 Samuel that, 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 uh, that, that there was a man by the name of, uh, I can't remember his name, but he, it says that he hated Ammon. He hated Ammon. And it says he neither spoke good or evil of him. He had no emotion toward him, but he hated him. You cannot, you cannot even be angry and still have hate in your heart. Because hatred in the Greek language is to love less. It's to love less. It means that there's a vacuum in your heart where you have become indifferent. You've become careless about your brother or sister. You've become careless about the people of God. You've become careless about your relationship with God. And these things are going on in your life. And now there's a vacuum where love is no longer present. So you are indifferent and not willing to pour yourself out for somebody else. Does that make good sense to you this morning? See, because like I said, we, we have to have our definitions right of what is going on. And so there, there, it gets in our heart and there's no self-giving for the benefit of of another. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to have offense. Then people are going to betray one another and give up their relationships. Then hatred is going to enter into their heart and they're going to become indifferent. And then notice what it says. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Who are the many that are going to be deceived? I want to I put it to you like this. I promise you, I believe with all of my heart, according to what I've read in scripture and studied, and it's throughout multiple uh, books in the New Testament, is that Satan loves to plant discord and offense and bitterness in people's hearts because then he can sell you a deception and a lie and he is easily able to persuade you to move away from the truth of God's word when you are first offended. Offense is a breeding ground for deception. Offense is a breeding ground for deception. And here's another interesting thing if you read this. When Jesus talks about false prophets, what does he say? He says, beware of false prophets because they come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. Right? Notice that it doesn't say they come to you as wolves in shepherd's clothing. If people get on uh, right now, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys, there's different denominations, and it's like they make a living out of all they want to do. Rather than preach the gospel, they would prefer to expose who they deem to be heretics. Amen. Don't you just love those guys, the heresy police? And it's like, and it's like their theology is this big, this tight. And if you get outside of those parameters, heretic. Now, don't get me wrong. There are heretics in the world. There are people who teach false doctrine. They teach a wrong view of Christ. They teach uh, things that focus on money rather than focusing on God and focusing on Scripture. There are heretics out there, but I want to say this. Some of the biggest wolves are not behind the pulpit. They're in the pews. Amen. That feels real good when I'm standing up here. Amen. <laughs> this is you all this morning. But I think he's pointing something out. He says that, that they come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing, not as wolves in shepherd's clothing. They look just like another one of the sheep, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And what a, what a pack of wolves. And notice I said pack because wolves like to operate in packs. 
Wolves like to operate in packs. They ain't just going to be a lone wolf running around trying to get, they're going to try to stir it up in a few other wolves to say, we need to go over and isolate that sheep right there. And what they do is they work very craftily behind the scenes to try to go unnoticed in the darkness. But what they're doing is they are trying to find sheep that they can isolate from the rest of the sheep to make them vulnerable to, to attack. Amen. And so when you start noticing sheep in the flock and they're, 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 they're getting disconnected, something is happening. Or maybe, maybe you're even in a group of people and the way that they're talking is, is negative about other people in the church and there's, there's things going on. What is happening right there? It could be that there's a root of bitterness, that there's a fence and, and there's a, a spirit of false prophecy that is coming to the surface that is planting lies and deception in order to bring division among the people of God and the sheep of God so that they're vulnerable to, to attack. Amen. This is, this is good this morning. It's encouraging. And we're going to make it through. See, the goal of the pack is to isolate the sheep. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says, then, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So again, you see this progression, right? Offense comes into the church. People betray one another. Then there's hatred involved. They become indifferent. They no, they no longer love people like Christ loves. They're no longer willing to give of themselves for their brothers and sisters regardless of their sin and faults. And then false prophets come in and deceive many who are offended because now they're hurting and they're looking for anything that will bring some sense of comfort. And, and they're deceived and they're led astray and they're separated from the pack, from the sheep, from the, from, from the flock. And then all of a sudden it comes in and he says, and then the love of many. And the word here for love is agape. Now I know, you know, recently we were watching a Super Bowl and I saw a commercial and it was a, I thought, man, this must be a Christian commercial. They're talking about the four words for love. I preach that whenever I preach a wedding ceremony. We talk, we got phileo, we got storge, we got eros, these three words for love. But then there's one word for love that is only produced by God in the human heart and that is agape. And of course, there's a commercial that does that now. I'm like, daggone it, y'all stole my sermon. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, so they, this agape love, he says the agape of many, the self-sacrificial, self-giving love of a Christian heart is going to grow cold because lawlessness is abounding. Lawlessness is a word that means essentially you just become a law unto yourself. And here's what I've noticed about people. People who are offended, one, like we said, they're harder to be one than a strong city. But when they get hurt, man, they can justify any behavior. They get hurt, they start blaming everybody else for their problems, and they say, well, you know, I can't even trust Christians. I can't even do that. I can't do that. You can't trust nobody because they're wounded, because they're offended. Then they go out and they start behaving in unchristian ways, but they feel justified. Why? Because somebody hurt me. Y'all ever been there? I mean, it happens all the time and it gets in our heart and all of a sudden we become lawless. We become a law unto ourselves. We're not willing to do things God's way. Now we have chosen, this is what I've settled with. I'll give God a little bit here, but I got walls in this area and I'm not giving God that part of my heart because I've been hurt, I've been wounded and I'm justified in being wounded because I am hurt. He says that's gonna grow cold. And in verse 13, he says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. What you've got to understand, folks, is that we're entering into something right now. We're entering into a time as a church. And here's what I'm saying. Like even right now, I, 
I feel like God is doing something in our community. I feel like his spirit is moving. I feel like he's breathing on things. And we are in an infancy stage of God getting ready to birth something amazing, I believe, in this church and in our county and among other churches in our county. I had a buddy that had a dream the other night and he was talking about it. He said, man, I saw all these churches coming together and worshiping the Lord as one. I said, you know what? God can do that. But the problem is right now that we're dealing with is people don't understand that this is the things that we are battling, that we're facing. And if we as the church can't learn to understand that we cannot be divided, we have to refuse to be offended. No matter what happens in our life, I got to get to a place where I'm spiritually strong enough to say, I'm not, I'm not allowing offense and, and betrayal or hurt or what anybody else does. I'm not going to allow it to take root in my heart to where it affects my relationship with God and my relationship with the church. The church is broken and hurting and people are messed up. And guess what? People are going to hurt me. I've embraced that. People are going to betray me. People are going to leave me. It's going to hurt for a minute. But guess what? I've got a God who walks with me every day of my life that can heal my wounds, that can restore my heart, and that can put me back on track so that I can continue to love even my enemies. Amen. And that's the God that we serve. We got a God that can heal us of these pains. You've got to be expectant of these things and say, you know what? I'm living for something bigger than my own personal hurts or my own personal desires. I'm living for the kingdom of God and I've got to get to a place where I know how to remove offense and live free from it. And I'm not saying it's easy, folks. This is a challenging word right here. But we're going to dive into it and see what God can do in our hearts. See, because the people who can hurt you the deepest are the people that are closest to you. The people who hurt you the deepest are the people that are closest to you. And that's, and that's true. I hear this statement a lot among people because it's just, and, and you know, even when we talk about people, like how we minister the gospel to people and, and some people say, you know what, man, that guy's just the nicest guy in the world. He, he, he bought me a cheeseburger the other day and I just don't see, I just don't get it. He's just the best guy in the world because he bought me a cheeseburger, and he, but he don't know Jesus. And I, you know, I just don't understand this. And, but here's the thing. People will say, you know what? The world treated me far better than Christians ever did. Y'all ever heard that statement? The world treated me far better than Christians ever did. One, I'll say this. Now, there are some Christians who probably aren't even Christians. They go to church all the time, and they just hurt people. Son, I've been around some. Amen. Right? And, and, and there's some, some bad stuff in there. But I'll say this. When you're around true, genuine Christian people, I bet you that you're lying about the fact that the world treats you better than Christian people do. What is happening is this. You don't set an expectation on the world. So I, I, I got no expect, expectations on the world. I could go out there today and somebody could cuss me out and punch me in the face. And I'd say like, well, as expected, you know. No big deal. But if somebody responds to me with kindness, maybe does an act of generosity, because my expectation of them is so low, all they got to do is do just a little bit more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at how kind these people are. But my expectation of my pastor or my expectation of my brothers and sisters in small group is like up in here. And I'm like, they're Christians. They better get it together and be perfect. If they say anything out of line, you know what, brother, I'll go to another church. I mean, this is ridiculous. They're Christians. And we put, we put this standard on people who are Christians. And all the, they could do what the person that you just love did right here, but they've offended you because they missed your expectations. And it's just one little thing, one little thing that creeps in there because of your expectation being so high on this person. And then your expectation on your spouse is even higher than that. So then when you go home, it's the reason you can get mad at the drop of a hat because your expectation is so high. 
Look, somebody said, well, how come you didn't? Honey, Andrea, how come you going to get mad at me and you didn't get mad at that guy out there? Well, because I'm her husband. You know, she's got a little bit more of an expectation on me. And that's what that's what goes on. And some people will say, well, man, you just you just don't understand what they did to me. You have no idea. You don't understand what they did to me. I said, you know what? I probably don't understand what they did to you. Uh, there's a lot of things you've been through that I've not been through personally. I've not I've not dealt with a lot of things that you've been through, but you don't understand what they did to Jesus. You were not perfect and blameless and holy and pure and without sin. But yet these people come. And they mock him and they ridicule him and they lie to him. And his best friend, one of his best friends, betrays him with a kiss, hands him over to the Roman government who beats him, puts a crown of thorns on him, puts a robe on him, mocks him once again, the very one that created them, that gave them breath, that never sinned against anybody, that never hurt anybody, that never said an ill word toward anybody. And then they beat him and they crucify him. And yet while he's being crucified and hanging there on a cross, asphyxiating, fighting for a breath of air, he lifts himself up with uh, nails in his hand, which would have been excruciatingly painful. And he lifts himself up and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I don't know what's been done to you, but you don't realize what's been done to Jesus. And the person who is unable to forgive has really forgotten what Jesus went through for you to be forgiven. The person who's unable to forgive somebody else is somebody who has forgotten what Jesus went through for you to be forgiven. And you've got to constantly be reminded of that. You've got to be reminded of the fact that your sins are worse than what anybody's done against you. What we did to Jesus is worse than what anybody's done to you. And I know some things are worse than others and wounds are greater. But here's the thing that we've got. We, like I said, we've got a God who is, who, is, who is totally fixed on healing your broken heart. Matter of fact, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And the very next thing he says after he says, I'm going to declare the good news is he says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Then he says, I've come to open the eyes of those that are blind and to set the captives free and open the prison doors to those who are bound. But before the deliverance and the freedom comes in your life, you've got to understand that he needs to heal your broken heart. And the, the number one key, Donald and I have sat down with people after people, counseled with so many people, and deliverance comes hundreds of times when people are finally willing to release and forgive the people that wounded them when they were young or, or just even a month ago. I mean, we have seen literal demonic manifestations when a person is willing to say I forgive this person for doing what they did to me and I'm releasing them to you now God I'm letting go of that thing man there is freedom that starts to break guess what that prison door gets opened all of a sudden because they're willing to come into agreement with the same forgiveness that Christ showed them now Jesus he tells he tells a parable I'll get to that in a minute here's here's, here's what's interesting Psalm, Psalm 55 verse 12 through 14 David says this he says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. He's saying, look, boys, this is somebody. This isn't some enemy out there. This is somebody in the house of God where we worship together, where we were together. And he said, man, this guy is the guy who has betrayed me. And if you've been through that, it, it's difficult, isn't it? It's hard. I get it. I've been through it myself. I've had to, I've had to go to a guy 
that hurt me so bad and, and, and go and talk to him. And I've had to ask for his forgiveness. And, and, and you say, well, shouldn't he have been forgiven you? No, I had to come to the place where I had to say, would you forgive me? I've been holding this against you, man. And, and you have to take the low road if you want healing, if you want deliverance from these things. You've got to get serious about these things. So in Matthew chapter 18, there, Jesus talks about forgiveness. And at one point, at one point, Peter comes to Jesus and, and, and it says, he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? I mean, that's pretty serious, Peter. Seven times is strong. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And that's if you actually do the math, it's 490 times. And if you do that math, then it means that you would have to do Luke's gospel says do it in one day. And so you would have to in one day, you'd have to do it every three minutes if you didn't sleep. So if you sin against me every three minutes, son, I may kill you. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. If you sin against somebody every three minutes, you're one of the greatest sinners in this generation. Like that's that's pretty heavy. But because he's not he's not pointing out that you're doing that. He's saying you have to come to a place of perfect forgiveness where it doesn't matter what anybody does to you or how they do it. But you enter into a state of, of perfect forgiveness where you understand my forgiveness for all people and that there's a grace there. There's an ability to forgive every person regardless of what has happened at all times. And Jesus tells him this parable and he gives them this parable and he basically says it like this. He says, look, there was a man that owed a billion dollar debt to a guy. Imagine owing somebody a billion dollars. And then you show up and you know they could, they could do anything they want. They could throw you in prison over this billion dollar debt. But he says, you know what? I forgive you. I'm wiping away this billion dollar debt. Go your way. And that guy's like, all right, man, I'm good. I'm going. And then he finds a dude who owes him $10. And he says, bro, give me my $10. And the guy's like, man, I, I ain't got the $10. And he said, put this guy in prison. I'm done with him. How are you going to receive a billion dollar debt from God, discharged, given away, wiped away, and then all of a sudden somebody who owes you $10, you're going to hold it against them? He's saying, you've got to understand that the, what I have forgiven you if, you, if you've truly received my forgiveness, you would understand the weight of your sin and what's been washed away from your life. And you would be willing to forgive anybody that's come against you and hurt you in such a manner. And Jesus is trying to teach this to people. But see, most people in the church, they categorize sin. And they categorize sin and they say, you know what? Getting drunk's bad. Adultery's bad. These things are bad. But gossip, really, it's just a weakness. And division, really, it's just a weakness. Somebody amen me here this morning. It's just a weakness. Adultery's bad. Getting drunk's bad. But gossip, it's a weakness. And anger, being angry at somebody, that's just a weakness. And it's not that big of a deal. But you know that the scriptures in Proverbs 6 God says there, there are six things that are an, are an abomination to him. Seven do I hate. On that list are neither drunkenness nor adultery, even though those things are obviously not good. But at the end of that list is something that's like, that says this. It says a, someone who sows discord among brethren. When you gossip, when you speak ill of somebody to someone else, what are you doing? You're sowing discord among brethren. And he says, God says in his heart, I hate that because what it is doing, it is, it is a little fox, a little seed that is coming into my vineyard because I'm trying to teach my people above all things. The first and the second commandment, folks, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying you're letting something come in where you are actually eroding love. 
just by sowing discord among brothers and sisters. And he said, essentially he's saying, if you would treat that division and that gossip and that discord and all of those things and that bitterness and that unforgiveness in your heart the same way that you had treated, treated adultery or drunkenness, you'd probably get set free. You'd probably get set free if you brought that little fox that you think is not that big of a deal on the same level as if you'd murdered somebody. You'd probably get set free and you would be you would be experiencing the presence of God in your life in a way that you would never imagine because you treat that little fox the same level as you treat one of your big category sins. Somebody amen me here this morning. It's true. And that's so there's sometimes in my life where the Holy Spirit will visit me and, he'll, and I'll say, you know what, God, I'm doing pretty good, ain't I? And he'll say, he'll say, he'll say, uh, Clay, you see that little thing right there? And I was like, no, we wasn't going to deal with that here. We weren't going to deal with that here, Lord. I was doing good. And he says, son, you don't understand that little thing, that little fox right there. If you let that go, it's going to erode your love for people. It's going to erode your love for people. And if I'm honest, as a pastor, what I notice sometimes is, is I could say, here's what we do as Christians. We treat offense as if it's a weakness in, in, in the sense that, you know what, I can't be offended. I'm not going to be offended. So when somebody hurts me, what I'll do is I'll say, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I forgive them. It's all good. That's what we do. We just immediately respond like that. But really what you're doing is you have developed a coping mechanism. In other words, to say, right now I'm currently building a wall, but in my defense, I'm trying to say, no, I'm not offended. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I forgive them. And you're just building a wall. And you're becoming indifferent and you're becoming angry. What you need to do, the best thing you could probably do is admit that you're offended, admit that you're hurt and begin to process the pain and walk through it and, 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 and walk through it with God and deal with it and say, Lord, the truth is I might actually be, I don't feel offended, but God, there's probably some bitterness in my heart. And what happens in church, what even happens as a pastor is people do, nobody's really done any major things to me, but it's little things. Over and over and over again. A little thing here, a little thing there, an aggravation here, an aggravation there, getting rubbed the wrong way there. And you let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And it's building up on you. And slowly you start to realize, man, I don't really trust people as much as I used to. There's some people that really I'm probably not willing to sacrifice myself for as much as I used to, God. And as a pastor, I need to deal with this. I got to deal with this thing in my heart because I've got to be able to love all people regardless of what they've done or regardless of what they said or regardless of how they've acted. I've got to truly be able to love these people. And, I, and we've got to demonstrate that. So God, would you come in? Would you heal my heart? Would you do something in my heart? But if you're honest with me, the way that I'm being honest with you, some of these same things are in your heart, right? These little things, these little things that are rubbing you and dealing with, and, and dealing with your heart and getting it into a place. Now these wounds... They get into our hearts and they start to deal with us. And, and, and a lot of us, some of us, I'm not kidding you. And you think what you'll experience with a lot of people in, in counseling and in dealing with a lot of people when they're young, somebody does something to them. Maybe they're abused. Maybe their parents say something to them and they learn to cope with it. They harden themselves against it. 20 years later, they say, I'm good. I've dealt with that. That's no big, no big deal. And then they start getting close to God. They start developing their relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit starts putting his finger on it. It's like it starts coming to the surface more and more because they're getting closer to the Lord. And they come to find out that really they never did fully deal with that. 
They never did really fully deal with that abuse. They never did really fully deal with that divorce that their parents went through. They never did really fully deal with what was said to them that time or, or what happened. And, they, and it's still there lingering as a root of bitterness affecting their relationship with God, affecting their relationship with people. And here's the, there's a difference between big wounds and small wounds. I mean, it, it, if somebody comes up and pushes me, you know, that's not that big of a wound. It might aggravate me a little bit, but it's not that bad. Now, somebody comes up and stabs me in the gut, son, I'm going to have to go to the hospital and get that thing repaired and probably take an antibiotic to keep from infection setting up. But if I just say, you know what, forget about it. I don't want to look at it, and I just wrap it up and cover it up. Well, you know what that thing, one, I'm going to bleed out slowly. But two, after a couple of days, infection is going to set up and it's going to start to spread. It's going to start to contaminate me and ultimately it can kill me. And some people are dying spiritually because they never allowed the healing of Jesus Christ to come into their wounds from their past. And some wounds are just some wounds are just worse than others. I mean, and here's here's the thing, though. You've got to learn to exercise yourself to grow in strength in these wounds because because here, here, here's the thing. I go to the gym, you know, sometimes. I work out a little bit. But I'm weak, all right? Every now and then I get something good. I'll be, I'll be a little bit strong. But I go in there, like the other day, you know, I mean, even yesterday, Jeremy was in there doing CrossFit up there at the gym, and I went in. They said, you come in here and do CrossFit. I said, boy, I got a, I got a slip disc. I'm, I'm 32 years old, about to be 33. It's getting bad. I'm old. <laughs> Somebody amen me, right? Yeah. Some of y'all just got mad right then. You're just like, you're not old, son. You want old? Feel my knees. You know what I'm talking about? I'm old. My dad talks to me all the time about being old. I'm looking forward to it based on the way he talks about it. It's, it seems like a real exciting time. But, but here's the thing. Some of them guys, man, Zach McGeorge, Jeremy Baker, they get under like 400 pounds and start squatting that stuff. If I squatted that stuff, my spine would snap in the center. It would, it would just snap because I, I can't take it. Why? Because I've not exercised like those boys have. Them boys been working out, son. They've been up under heavy weights, heavy burdens. They've been pushing. They've been striving. I go in about once, once a week at best, you know what I'm saying? Just get a little something in. Just get, get my heart working a little bit. And the problem is, is I've not exercised enough to, to develop the strength that it takes physically to do what they do on a spiritual level. Many people get offended at the very smallest of things. You know why? Because they're weak spiritually. Let me, let me look at this. Let's look at a verse together. In Psalm 119, 165 in the Passion Translation, I like this one. The others read very similarly. It says, There is such a great peace and well-being that comes to the lovers of your word, and they will never be offended. Why will they never be offended? Because they love the Word of God. See, here's the thing. When you're not in the Word of God, when you're not studying God's Word, when you're not saying, God, I want to live according to your Word, and when you're not in prayer, you get weak spiritually and you have all these vulnerable spots in your hearts to be, heart to be offended. But when you're growing spiritually, you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're seeking God, you want to please Jesus, you want to serve, you want to walk with Jesus. He says, you know what? They got great peace and these people are never going to be offended because they're strong. 
You got a strength in you that says, you know what? I'm so strong spiritually that I'm going to get to a place where I will not be offended. Now, see, I got a bad back, son. On, on, on New Year's Day, me and Andrea, I, I was just going to use a bathroom, folks, and my back went out. It felt like I got electrocuted from the waist down because I had a, a disc slip. And you know what? If you read about it, what you got to do? You got to stretch and exercise. Stretch and exercise. You got to keep it loose. You got to stretch and exercise. So what I'm saying is you got to get to a place if you're going to live free from a fence that you're going to have to learn to spiritually stretch and spiritually exercise. And I'll put it to you like this. I believe sometimes God sort of when people hurt us, obviously he does not want that. But I think he looks at it as, yes, here's an opportunity where I can make them more like my son. Here's an opportunity where if they will respond correctly, I can make them more like Jesus. Because when, we, when they heard him, when we heard him, what did he do? He forgave us freely. And he's looking for that opportunity in our lives. Here's what Paul said in, in Acts 24, 16. Let's go to the old King Jimmy and read it. It says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void to offense toward God and toward men. He says, I'm actually exercising myself. I'm working this thing out. I'm like, like I'm looking for opportunities for hey, you want to hurt me today, bro? Won't you do Won't you take a shot? Take a shot. I'm going to forgive you. I love you. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying don't do that. But the point is, he, he is saying I'm exercising myself so that I will have a conscience and a heart that is void of offense toward God and toward man. Now, if anybody had an opportunity to be offended, it was Paul. Five times he was beaten by his countrymen with whips with, five times, 39 lashes. Three times they said, you know what? He ain't responding well to the whips. Get the rods. And they beat him three times with the rods. And all because of what? Because he got up and he loved them enough to share Jesus with them. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and, and a day in the deep in the ocean. Now, can you imagine them tunics they live? You get shipwrecked. You're in the middle of the ocean. You got to take all your garments off so you don't sink. And you got to float out there with the sharks for a day for 24 hours. And I mean, at that point, I'd be like, God, here I am preaching the gospel. You called me into this. You sent me to these places. What in the world is going on? I should not be a night and a day in the deep. Everything should be going flawlessly. I've given my life to you. And what I'm noticing more and more as a pastor is as we go on, not just offense toward others is growing, but offense toward God is growing more than anything. Offense toward God is growing more than anything. I meet so many people, they're offended at God, at what's going on in their lives. They're not happy with what's going on in their lives. And so rather than, rather than receive it and, and, and seek God and rely upon God, they get angry at God and they move further away from Him. And Paul says, man, I'm going through some hard times, but I know that God is good. And I'm not looking for what I can get in this world. I'm looking for an afterlife. I'm looking for a kingdom to come. And if I've got to go through difficulties and sufferings in this life, it's because God is working in for me a glory that, that in eternity is going to resound throughout all of eternity. And it's going to see that everybody's going to see this faith and this glory that I walked through and what God developed in me. He said, I'm not living for the here and now. I'm living for the kingdom to come. I may have a difficulty or two here, but I'm not going to get offended at God because I know he's good. I've had an encounter with him. And when I get lost in the presence of God, I know he's good, even though my circumstances aren't. He said, I'm not going to get offended at God and I'm not going to get offended at these people who have even beaten me. I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive them. And I've got to exercise myself. But how do I exercise? Matthew 5, 44 
says, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Here's, here's one of the ways that you exercise. Anybody been hurt by anybody recently? I won't make you raise your hand. <clears throat> got, all right, well, we got a couple hands went up. So the scripture says this. I wonder if you've tried this yet. It says, love your enemies, pray for those who mistreat you. When you are hurt and wounded by someone, the very best thing that you can do is go to your prayer closet, bring them up in your mind, and begin to intercede for them. And I'm not talking about the kind of intercession that says, Lord, bless them. That's like, lifting, that's like going to the gym. That'd be like me going to the gym, walking in like this, going over, picking up the one-pound weight, working it out. That's weak. He's saying when you pray for those who have mistreated you, you need to get in there and you need to sincerely pray for them the way that you would pray for yourself. Love them. Invite the Lord into the wound where they hurt you and intercede for them in a way that you begin to release them. Psalm 35, verse 12 through 14, David says, They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. He says, you know what? Those who hurt me. And I, now this is good for David because every now and then David gets mad at his enemies. And he's like, Lord, punch these people in the teeth and break them down. I had people call me sometimes and say like, I thought we were supposed to love people. And David's over here talking about punching them in the face and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, in scripture, the, the thing about it is, is David wasn't always right because David isn't God. What you read throughout Scripture are stories about broken people who are learning to have a relationship with the one true God. And ultimately, God says, yeah, there were some mistakes in the Old Testament, but guess what? It was all pointing to the new. It was all pointing to Jesus. And here is perfection. Here's the one that you follow. We don't follow David. We follow Jesus. So if I read where David was angry at some people, what I'm learning is it's the condition of my human heart. Sometimes I pray and I want to pray in a way where I say, Lord, punch that person in the face. But if you'll notice, his heart changes and all of a sudden he begins to understand different things. Why? Because it's revealing the condition of the human heart as they pray. It's not saying this is how you should feel about people. This is saying this is the, this is the condition of your heart. And when you're praying through things, sometimes you're going to be angry, but in the presence of God, your heart and your condition is going to change. And you learn to pray for these people and let the Lord deal with your heart. But you can't pray based on your feelings. If you pray based on your feelings, you'll never forgive anybody. You pray the truth. You pray the word of God. It doesn't, you can start with feelings, but ultimately you got to let the Holy Spirit move you into truth and move you into the Word of God. Because if you let your feelings dictate your prayer life, son, you're going to do crazy stuff. You've got to let the truth of God's Word take control of you. And see, here's, here's the other thing is that Jesus says not only to pray for, for them, but he says to go to them. That's one of the most difficult things in Scripture, right? He says, look, if you come and you're in worship and he says, and you realize while you're offering your worship to God, and you're dancing, you know, and you're doing this before the Lord. And he says, in your heart, you realize that your brother has something against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then return in worship. Because your worship is being hindered by the fact that you're not right with your brother. And he says, go to them. He says, go to them, not make a rant on Facebook. Amen. Go to them and have a conversation. Now, when you go to them, let me give you three quick tips. I'm almost done with this thing. I'm going to wrap this up very soon. 
But when you go to someone, first, never assume you know why someone did something. Never assume you know why someone did something. You have no idea why anyone does anything. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the human being is a complicated and a complex creature. They do crazy stuff all the time. I mean, we just have bad days and, and the next day we're like, I don't even know what I did yesterday. That was insane. I should have never even acted that way. Never assume you know why somebody did something. You don't know why you do most things. And Ecclesiastes 7.21, I don't think I put this up there, but it's, it's one of my favorite verses for some reason. It says, also do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear someone cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Ooh, that's good right there, isn't it? He says, listen, don't take heart everything people say. Why are you getting so tore up over somebody saying negative, something, something negative about you? They probably don't really mean it. They're dealing with their own issues in their heart. And you know of your own self that if you searched your heart, you have said bad things about other people too. So why don't you just let it go? Why don't you just take the high road and say, you know what? I'm going to let that one go. I'm all right. I'm good. I'm going to overlook that offense. Secondly, when you go to a person, the goal is reconciliation and not justice. You're not going there to prove that they're wrong and you're not going there to punish them. You're going there to say, look, I just want us to, I just want us to be able to work this out and, and us be in, in relationship again. Amen. You're not going there to prove you're right or they're wrong. You're going there to take the high road and say, both of us are most likely wrong, but I'm sorry and I want to be reconciled. Thirdly, the goal of communication is understanding and not agreement. The goal of communication is understanding and not agreement. Listen, most people that I've disagreed with and, and, or, or, or somebody that's hurt me or I've hurt them, we may never come to an agreement, but we can come to an understanding. I can say this is how I felt about it. They can say, well, this is how I felt about it. And I say, I understand where you're at. Maybe we don't agree with each other on how these things should come out, but we understand each other and we can choose to love each other anyway in spite of the differences that we've had. Because right now in our world and in our culture, people believe that you have to agree with each other to love them. And it's happening in the church too. It's like you've got to have the exact same doctrine or you hate them. No, man, we got a church full of people from different denominations and different backgrounds. And I guarantee you, probably one day you'll hear something among our church members that don't line up perfectly with your doctrine. And you may not agree perfectly with how everything goes. But can you still love your brother? Can you still love them even though your theology and your doctrine isn't perfectly and flawlessly lined up together? We can discuss the peripheral issues that, that are around Jesus. And I'm not going to get totally offended if somebody else believes something totally different than me. I'm going to love that brother because ultimately he's going to be a balance to maybe something that I'm missing. Maybe he's going to give me insight that I don't know and I'm still going to love him and we're going to be able to grow. So Jesus is saying, you need to go to your brother and you need to create an atmosphere of goodness that will lead them to repentance. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that leads, them, leads you to repentance. And if you can go to that person and create an atmosphere of goodness and love where you're not trying to prove anything, you're not coming against them, you're not trying to bring up everything they did against you. No, you're trying to demonstrate the goodness and the love of God and going to them and creating an atmosphere where you're being so good to them that they realize, man, we need to make this right. Amen. My last verse, I'm going to finish. Luke 17, 1. Before I read that, I want to I say that here, here's the thing about being a Christian. Loving someone when you see how awesome they are is immature love. 
But loving someone when you get to see their faults and you get to see them mess up and you get to see them fail and you love them anyway, that's mature love. And loving someone when they hurt you, that's, that's, that's one of the greatest loves. Being able to sacrifice for someone who has hurt you, that's one of the greatest loves. Luke 17, 1, he says, It is impossible that no offenses should come. It is impossible that no offenses should come. Get this in your heart. You might even say it. At one point, an offense is going to come to me. It's going to happen. But Jesus says, woe to those through whom the offense comes. Now, John Bevere, he wrote a book. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's called The Bait of Satan. But he uses this verse and he talks about this word offense. And you can look up this word offense. And in the Greek language, it's this word scandalon. And the word itself literally means the bait stick of a trap. The bait stick of a trap. Now, I know all about this because I live in a house, son. It's about, it's like, it's like, it's built in like 1950. And I mean, I'd say there's crevices in there to where a human being could probably slide in and be in my bedroom. Be like, hey, what's up? Well, where'd you come in? We had the doors locked. Oh, there's a crevice over there. You know, I mean, I mean, that's how that thing is built, son. I, like one, one time, one time I'm in, one time I'm in the living room and I hear a noise and over by the air vent, I'm like, something's scratching on the air vent. So, uh, like a cat had went up under our house come out, and was almost in our house pushing through the air vent right there. I mean, you can find... So anyway, regard, needless to say, we get some mice sometimes, right? So, and I'm pretty good at catching mice. You know, I, I, I get them old traps, son, the, the metal ones. And, you, and I get processed cheese and I put it deep in that, in, that, in that bait stick. You know what I'm saying? And I set the trap and I set them in there. And I've caught about five mice this winter because rest in peace, Loki, he, he died. And, and we, when, we had, when we had my cat, Loki, we didn't have no mice. We didn't have no mice. But I had to figure out how to bait these mice and I've caught five this winter, praise God. All glory be to God. But what you got to notice is here's the same thing. What happens? That little mouse comes running through my house. It sees that trap, but it doesn't see the trap. It sees the bait on the bait stick. And it doesn't realize, and I'm telling you, they, those things work so good. Every time they hit that cheese, and I don't care if that cheese has been sitting there a month, it will hit that cheese. And when it does, it lands directly on that mouse's neck. I mean, kills it flat out. What's the point I'm trying to make here? I know. The point I'm trying to make here is that Satan understands that when you are hurt, it's like a bait that's sitting there waiting on you. And as soon as you decide to take up that offense, it snares you. And it brings you into captivity. And if you're like that mouse, in my case, he throws you in the trash. And that's what's going to happen. See, that's what Satan has designed this so that when you begin to come in, and you take up that offense where somebody's hurt you, it's going to ensnare you. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is you've got, to evaluate, you've got to evaluate your heart. You think because you're holding your affection from somebody else that you're punishing them, but you're not. You're actually enslaving yourself. And I want us to pray this morning. I want us to take a moment to, to evaluate ourselves and for us to, to pray through some of this stuff. And sometimes you've just got to Take a moment first to realize that the unforgiveness that's in your heart, you got to look at it as a sin against, against God. You got to treat it as such. You, you, you can no longer be justified in the offense that you're allowing to stay in your heart. There's what I want to do. Let's bow our heads right quick just for a moment. 
I want us to pray together. And how many would be willing, just with your heads down and your eyes closed, would just be willing to admit right where you're at? You know what? I might. I think I might have an offense in my heart. Maybe there's something that was done to me that I've had. I've had trouble letting go of, and I just need to forgive a person afresh. Won't you just lift your hand? And let me know as an act of faith. And here's the thing: it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to be safe than sorry. If I think it at all as an act of faith, I'm the only person looking at you right now. Won't you just lift it high and say, this is me. I know I need to let this go. I know I need to let this thing go. But here's what I want us all to do right now. I want us to all pray this prayer. I want you to say, Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and I ask you for forgiveness of my sin. I've sinned against you, God, because I've held unforgiveness in my heart. I've had bitterness in my heart. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come and heal me now. I receive your forgiveness, Jesus, for all of my sins. And because you have forgiven me, I choose to forgive those who have sinned against me. And I want you to name them right now, just, just quietly where you're at. If there's somebody that comes to mind, I want you to say, Lord, I forgive. And name them. Just name them. Just say to amen. Lord, I forgive my, my father. I forgive my mother. I forgive, I forgive my brother, my sister for doing this thing. I forgive them for doing that to me, Lord. Just whisper it out of your mouth. Just say it. Say, Lord, I release them to you now. I lay nothing to their charge any longer. I want to be healed, Lord. I want to be set free. I want to be strengthened in my spirit so that I no longer have to walk in that pain. And right now, any anger associated with that unforgiveness, we command it to go in Jesus' name. I want you to speak to it. Say, Lord Jesus, I renounce the anger in my heart. I renounce the bitterness in my heart. I renounce the hatred in my own heart. And I ask for the freedom, Lord, from anything that has bound me. And we speak to every unclean spirit. And we say, Satan, you've, you've come in to bait these people and to trap them, but we rebuke you in the name of Jesus and we command you to leave their hearts now in Jesus' name. Wherever there's a stronghold, wherever there's a snare, we command those things to be broken and for the enemy to go now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we speak a peace into people's hearts right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. I want you to stand to your feet right where you're at. You know, the Lord said that when we come to worship, first go and be reconciled to your brother. And I'm not saying you got to do that right now, but here's what I want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit, if you're truly looking to do this, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you in these things, folks. And you got to be open to him leading you and how you deal with this. But first and foremost, you got to make sure that your relationship with God is right. Amen. That you got no offense toward God, that you're walking with God. I want you to be sure of that. We're going to worship just for a moment. If you need prayer for anything, if you need to pray through some of this stuff a little bit more, please come forward, me or Donald or Brian will, would love to pray for you. But some of you, won't you come to this altar and let's spend some time in prayer together.